SCP-5545. Abnormality. Throughout this series, we've seen things contained in a myriad of ways, including extensive containment cells, complicated rituals, anomalies contained inside of other anomalies, and things that don't even realize that they are being contained. In SCP-5545, we'll be looking at a rather unique containment scenario, although to say any more than that would give things away, so let's just dive in. First, looking at the containment procedures, we're told that a provisional site has been constructed around SCP-5545-1, with at least 18 individuals present there at all times. We're also informed that a conceptual site is there that contains SCP-5545-2 via association lock, meaning that the conceptual site doesn't actually exist as a physical location. All Foundation personnel entering the provisional site are told that SCP-5545-2 is contained in Site-344-2, the significance of which will become apparent later. Finally, SCP-5545-3 remains active as long as 1 and 2 remain contained. Moving on to the description to find out what all those things are, SCP-5545-1 appears as a series of hallways that manifest in the underground complex beneath Provisional Site-344-1. These hallways appear in various forms, but always lack doors or other discernible markings, they possess light fixtures at regular intervals, and are architecturally indistinguishable from their surroundings. More notably, these hallways extend indefinitely, and it's believed that they intersect with an extra-dimensional space. 5545-2, on the other hand, is an entity located within the conceptual site, although no other information about it can be provided at this point. 5545-3 occurs whenever the entity interacts with the hallways, during which 5545-1's area of effect will exponentially increase with time. Within 4-6 to six hours of the entity being in the hallways, these infinite hallways will begin to appear across the entire world. When the entity is not present, however, the area of effect will diminish, isolating it to the provisional site in Antarctica. This anomaly was first discovered, to the Foundation's knowledge, by colonial explorers in the late 1700s. These explorers had repeated interactions with the entity in the hallways, in some cases leading to the activation of the 5545-3 effect, resulting in a number of deaths, either from the anomaly itself or from suicidal tendencies provoked by it. The Foundation believes that the total number of deaths from this period were around 70. The Foundation itself discovered 5545 in September of 2003, during an expedition into Antarctica. They initially believed the extent of it to be simply some infinite hallways, but after discovering the conceptual site containing the entity, 16 research members died, leading to the current containment procedures. We know it's common procedure for the Foundation to throw some D-class and some MTFs into things like this, and that's exactly what they did but the results were less than satisfactory. Between December of 2003 and November of 2019, 70 D-Class personnel and 29 MTF units were sent into various infinite hallways, with none of them ever being seen again. 
on November 18th, 2019, site director for the nearby Site 58, Jason Monroe, submitted a request to the O5 Council to launch a formal investigation of 5545, along with the extensive loss of human life and the general misconduct of staff at Site 344. In his request, Monroe states that the head researcher of 5545 has been in charge of the project for nearly two decades, and yet the documentation for 5545 has only been updated twice, in September and December of 2003. It's especially odd that 5545 is considered to be a safe class, since there's very little info provided for it, and it seems to be capable of spreading across the globe in certain situations. Since Provisional Site 344 has been silent for so long, Monroe believes that something drastic has occurred, and due to the proximity of his site to 344, it falls under his jurisdiction to investigate, and he plans to do so personally. The O5 Council unanimously approves his request, and he heads over to check it out. Arriving at the Provisional Site, Monroe comments on the relaxing helicopter ride over, a nice respite from the stress of being a site director. He was supplied with a concealed weapon, some audio recorders, and something referred to as a hostile meme detector, which I think we could all use sometimes. Monroe has past experience as an MTF agent, which is why he feels comfortable enough to carry out this exploration himself. At the provisional site, he's greeted by a researcher who tells him in an almost depressive tone that SCP-5545-2 is contained in Site-344-2. Monroe runs it through the hostile meme detector, but it comes up negative, so he continues in. He's given a small room to stay in, but since he arrived at night, he'll have to wait to meet with the head researcher, Dr. Reed. Monroe wakes up early the following morning to walk around the site, and notices at the end of each hallway is a sign that says that it's safe to cross. He muses that small things like that make containment possible in the Foundation. Since the anomaly makes infinite hallways, you would notice if there wasn't a sign right away. Despite this, though, this facility has still become compromised somehow. He's also noticed that there are cameras in practically every hallway, but none in his room or the halls outside of the dorms, which he plans to use to his advantage. Monroe meets with Dr. Reed for 30 minutes, but describes the meeting as lackluster. Reed is either sleep-deprived or incredibly bored, or as Monroe believes, both. Monroe asked him some questions, and Reed answered briefly and concisely, and when he questioned him about the entity, Reed stated that he couldn't say anything about it without it constituting a containment breach. Monroe learned nothing new from the interview, and returned to his room. He had recorded the conversation and runs it through his meme detector, believing that Reed is certainly affected by something due to his vague and robotic responses. Despite this, though, the detector comes up completely negative, so whatever's going on here is either too powerful and subtle for the meme detector, or it's not a meme at all. Later that night, Monroe writes that every Foundation site has a few hidden panels, known only to a privileged few, that allows someone to gain access to the entire security system. Due to his high level of clearance, he accesses one of these panels and checks things out. He finds that there's a single camera feed coming from the conceptual site, which displays a completely black screen 
and the words SCP-5545-2 is contained in Site-344-2. Turning on the audio feed for the camera produced a slight static noise, so Monroe kept it muted. He's not sure why this feed even exists, since only Dr. Reed can access it normally, and it doesn't show anything. Monroe also writes that he's noticed that every employee here spends their time at cubicles staring at their screens, most of which just display static. The only person that actively uses their computer is Dr. Reed, and Monroe hopes to find out exactly what he's been up to. He watches the cameras and notices that Reed makes routine trips out of his office to get a drink and go to the bathroom, so he plans on sneaking in during those times. Monroe also mentions that he encountered his first infinite hallway today, and if he wasn't paying attention, he probably would have just started walking down it. Monroe eventually waits for one of Dr. Reed's 15-minute breaks and sneaks into his office. Looking on his computer, he finds the 5545 documentation, but most of it is locked behind 05 clearance, so not even Monroe can see it. He looks through some other files, however, and finds two things. One is a photograph of what seems to be an MTF walking down a hallway, and another is an Excel spreadsheet containing a list of every employee who's ever worked at the site. Around half of the people listed are deceased, either from the anomaly or from suicide, but there is one single redacted entry. All of the info about the person's name, clearance, and even cause of death have been removed from the sheet. Monroe wanted to continue digging, but ran out of time, and left before Reed returned. He plans on figuring out how to get past the 05 clearance block, as he's bothered by both the fact that there's an 05 clearance block in the first place, and the fact that the council unanimously approved his investigation. Something is fishy, and he hopes to crack open the mystery. He later writes about a dream he had, in which he's standing in a lavish home he doesn't recognize, with crimson walls outlined with hellishly detailed golden adornments. There is a table made of glass surrounded by silver chairs, and he's shivering despite not feeling cold and wearing a large, thick coat. At the end of the room is a fireplace. A few minutes pass by as he walks through the room, looking at statues along the sides, all of their faces either masculine or feminine. The male faces are angry, and the female faces are afraid, and Monroe knows in the dream that the two are related, but he doesn't know how he knows this. At the end of the room, standing in front of the crackling fire, he hears the chandelier behind him softly swinging, but when he turns to look at it, he finds that the chandelier isn't swinging at all. He looks back to the fireplace to find that it's now infinitely tall, extending far beyond the abyss above him and he realizes that the swinging sound is coming from within the fireplace. A shape emerges from the fire, and he doesn't recognize it until it has reached out and bored into his mind. The shape is that of a small girl's corpse, hanging by a horrendously long thread intertwining with the laces of the scarlet walls and extending upwards into the void. She grips the sides of the fireplace and pulls herself out, staring at Monroe in anger, but he doesn't know why. He feels that he is the source of all of her rage and fury, but she can't free herself from her torment. Monroe steps into the fireplace, and the girl rips his skin off, exposing his muscle to the flames, and they burn together, forever. 
Monroe has actually had this dream numerous times previously, but this time, upon entering the fireplace, he blinked and he was suddenly in a hallway. He's not sure why this dream was different or what it means. After writing about the dream, he tore up the page and threw it away before returning to bed. The following day, he simply wrote in his journal that he had a weird dream last night, but doesn't elaborate. His main priority right now is finding out how the O5 Council are involved with this anomaly, and also what exactly is happening here at this site. He mentions the conceptual site of 344, but doesn't know what exactly that entails or how he could access it. The containment procedures say that the entity is contained in the conceptual site through an association lock, which he assumes means that the entity has become associated with the concept of being contained, and that becomes its reality. He really has no idea, as he's never come across the idea of a conceptual site before. The entity seems to cause suicide in some individuals and directly kills others, but he doesn't know the criteria for either. The mystery redacted individual likely died in a different way than everyone else, but it could just be a red herring, as the Foundation does that sometimes. He plans on infiltrating Reed's office again in a couple hours. A day goes by before Monroe writes another journal entry, in which he states that he managed to sneak back into Reed's office and accessed his computer again. Monroe figured that Reed has some way to access the entire 5545 file, so there might be a way to do so simply from his computer. After some digging, he found the credentials in a hidden file in a non-conspicuous folder. They were clearly outdated and non-functional anywhere else, but since this system was isolated from the rest of the Foundation, he was able to access the full file. Here he learns that 70 D-Class and 30 MTF members had been lost to the anomaly, which he was not aware of before. More disturbingly, he finds all of his previously written notes stored in the file, including his discarded ones. He doubts that Reed is responsible for this, instead suspecting that the O5 Council is involved and monitoring him, although he's not sure how. While perusing the file, however, Dr. Reed returned. Dr. Reed asks him if he's aware that entering his office without permission is a breach of protocol, but Monroe confronts him about the large number of D-Class that he's thrown into the anomaly. Dr. Reed realizes that he's breached the file's security, but Monroe doesn't care anymore, as he strongly suspects that the anomaly is influencing them somehow. Reed, however, stays calm, and says that Monroe has violated the site's rules several times and has now gone against O5 protocol, so he may face termination charges. Monroe pulls out his concealed pistol, although Reed doesn't react to it. He says that the O5 Council sent him to ensure that the anomaly is being contained properly, and he believes that Reed has been inadequate in his position. Reed counters and says that Monroe's orders were given to him in order to assist in the anomaly's containment, and everything has gone perfectly so far. Monroe has no response to this, and Reed simply tells him that he should return to his room, as he has everything he needs. Monroe does so, pondering over and over what Reed told him, and the entire mystery here, that they have access to his notes and that the O5 Council agreed to send him here. 
He later writes that he feels like he's going insane and that there's some sort of conspiracy going on here. For whatever reason, he hasn't been detained, terminated, or even recalled from his investigation yet, despite being caught red-handed. He's starting to suspect that he might be here for some reason other than simply investigating the anomaly, some sort of higher purpose like a puppet on a string. The fact that the 5545 documentation hasn't been updated since 2003, and yet they have all of his notes on file, especially perplexes him. He wonders how long he's been here, since repeated amnestic usage to wipe his memories over and over for that long would surely show some side effects. He's also perplexed by the fact that he volunteered to come here. It wasn't an order by the council, but they seem to have expected it nonetheless. He goes back to the phrase he's heard multiple times here. SCP-5545-2 is contained in Site-344-2, and he figures that he should try and access the conceptual Site-344-2 somehow. He suspects that the infinite hallways are the entrance to the conceptual site somehow, but he can't prove it. If he goes into the hallway and he's not supposed to be there, Dr. Reed will be forced to prevent him from going. But if he is supposed to be there, then he hopes to find some answers. He decides that he'll likely be terminated regardless for breaking 05 orders, so he's got nothing left to lose. He takes a camera along with him, and we're given a log of his trek down an infinite hallway. He walks partway in, and turns the camera to show that there is now no entrance or exit visible, only darkness on each end. The flickering of the lights increases in pace as he continues to walk, and the sound of ventilation pipes grows. The pace of the flickering lights increases to an alarming rate, and Monroe begins to hyperventilate stopping his walk before the lights suddenly turn off. Three seconds pass in darkness before the lights come back on, but now the hallway has taken on a more ornamental appearance, with elaborate rugs and wooden decorations. Monroe is heard on the camera choking back a sob, and he frantically scans the hallway, drawing in a sharp breath, and he says that he's seen this before. He continues walking, although it's clear he's more agitated than before. Six minutes go by until Monroe suddenly stops, zooming in his camera on the far end of the hallway where there is a faint, flickering light. He then continues to walk towards it, stopping again five meters from a doorway that leads into a long room. At the far end of the room, the flickering light changes shape wildly and is occasionally obscured by a moving figure, although the camera doesn't show many details. As the footage focuses, the light is revealed to be coming from a fireplace, and Monroe takes a deep breath and steps into the room, revealed to be Conceptual Site 344-2. The room is large and poorly lit, the walls extending upwards infinitely, and statues line the sides featuring male and female faces. Monroe makes various noises indicating his immense emotional distress, but he continues towards the fireplace. He sees a single white thread hanging in front of the fireplace, and says, Oh God, no, out loud. He stands there motionless for one minute, breathing shallowly until a faint creaking sound starts to escalate in volume. Monroe becomes more distressed as the white string begins to swing back and forth. 
His breathing quickens before he draws a deep breath and turns around, letting loose a scream. The camera footage shows over 100 identical corpses with Monroe's appearance, each hanging from a multitude of white threads. All are dressed differently, however, with some wearing farming garments or D-class jumpsuits or MTF tactical gear. In the center of the room, at ground level, the corpse of a young teenage girl is also hanging by threads, although her body is perfectly preserved. She is dressed in 18th century clothing, and unlike the other corpses that are lightly swinging, she is entirely motionless. Monroe says that he remembers, and begins sobbing uncontrollably as he drops the camera. He asks, how much longer will you do this? but there's no audible response, as the corpses quickly rise out of the camera's view. A single string lowers itself in front of Monroe as the room reduces in size, the infinite hallway visible behind the corpse of the motionless girl. Monroe says that he gets it, and that you want him to make a choice. If he leaves here, the entity will follow him outside, but he'll be free. This will cause the infinite hallways to spread all over the world, resulting in thousands of other people dying instead of him. If instead Monroe chooses to die here, he'll be brought back again and again with a different life each time. He'll be killed over and over forever, but only he will die for his sins. He says that he's sorry, and three minutes go by, during which Monroe composes himself and stops crying. He then says that the Foundation knew about this, and they needed him to come here in order to keep the entity contained. They needed him to make the right choice. That's why this has happened before, and will happen again, and everything was set up so that things would play out this way. They knew how this would play out, because they've already read the script. Monroe eventually makes his decision and approaches the string near the fireplace, picking it up. It coils around his hand as the lights from the hallway behind the room turn off. The thread snakes through his clothing and around his skin, and Monroe looks at the girl's corpse, saying, How could I ever forget you, Emily? The thread tightens around him, and he spasms uncontrollably as he collapses to the floor. Finally, the light from the fireplace goes out, leaving only darkness. Lastly, one of the O5 members sends an email to Dr. Reed, responding to some of his questions and concerns. They say that technically everything in the mock SCP-5545 file is correct, as Site-344 is used as an information processing base when not containing 5545, so that's why 18 people are constantly employed there. The entity is technically contained via association lock, but it's not associated with the concept of being contained, but rather it's associated to 5545-4's death. This is the first mention of 5545-4, but we can infer that this is the designation for Monroe. The phrase SCP-5545-2 is contained in Site-344-2 that is repeated so often has nothing to do with actually containing the entity, but rather is meant for Monroe to hear and draw him in. Secondly, they deny Dr. Reed's request for an amnestic regimen, so he's forced to retain all of his memories from each cycle, in case anything goes wrong. 
third, they found the next iteration of Monroe as a D-Class transfer, and they estimate that it will take at least six months before they have to go through this process again. It seems that as soon as Monroe dies by sacrificing himself, he's immediately brought back to do it again, although he doesn't remember things until he arrives in the conceptual site. Finally, the O5 member says that they don't have answers to a number of Reed's questions. They don't know what Monroe did to this young girl 300 years ago and what resulted in this cycle. They don't know why her effect manifests as hallways specifically or how she propagates her goal or why the hallways extend across the world if Monroe refuses. They state that it's not their job to rescue Monroe from the consequences of his actions, and when they tried to prevent him from going to the conceptual site in 2005, it resulted in the hallways manifesting everywhere to try and force him to enter. They don't want to repeat this mistake, and they have no qualms about delivering him each time to the girl. It's not their job to research, and it's not their job to interfere, simply to secure, contain, and protect. So, a few hundred years ago, a man named Jason Monroe did something especially heinous to a young girl named Emily. As part of some anomaly, whether Emily herself was anomalous or had access to one, this created a loop. Emily is now contained in a conceptual site, and Monroe continues to reincarnate whenever he dies. Emily's goal is to bring Monroe to her conceptual site, and she accomplishes this through these infinite hallways that she has the power to manifest anywhere in the world. She's satisfied as long as Monroe ends up at the conceptual site to sacrifice himself, but if not, she'll make hallways appear across the world and cause the deaths of anyone who walks down them. The Foundation acquiesces to Emily by making sure they get a hold of Monroe and manufacture the scenario that leads him directly into a hallway at the provisional site in Antarctica. In a lot of ways, Emily has really won one over on the Foundation, as they are not usually happy complying with an anomaly's demands, but they'll continue to do so to prevent angering her. On the one hand, Monroe has a pretty rough situation, forced to sacrifice himself over and over for something he did hundreds of years ago. On the other hand, he is complicit in creating this anomaly, and he does have the choice of walking away and causing thousands of innocent deaths, but it seems he's a good enough person to make the right choice each time. Containment in the SCP universe often requires sacrifice of some kind, although it's usually not to this sort of personal degree. In some ways, it is a little cold of the Foundation to make no efforts to try and subdue Emily in some other way so that Monroe can break free of this cycle, but considering how often they throw away lives just in the pursuit of exploration or research, I can't say it's surprising. Monroe may regret his actions 300 years ago, but as they say, you can't escape your past. 